0: I'm Tavis Smiley, delighted to have you in with us in this hour, and it's going to be a good hour. I've been waiting on this, uh, and uh, we mentioned at the top of our first hour today that we'd be joined in studio by these two brilliant authors, and they are here, and I'm ready for the conversation. I've got questions, they've got answers, this should be fun. It's a conversation with co-authors Dr. Cara Natterson and Vanessa Crowe Bennett about the book that parents all across America are trying to get their hands on it's called this is so awkward modern puberty explains somebody needs to explain it uh so i i put a call out an hour ago to all parents all parents who are raising kids in this age uh group uh here's your opportunity to understand better what you're dealing with and why you're dealing with it and what, if anything, can be done about it? I am thrilled that we somehow made it onto their insanely busy book tour calendar. Uh, and uh, to be lucky enough to have them join us live in studio makes this really cool. So, Dr. Cara, Natterson, uh, good to have you in studio. How are you today?
1: I'm great. Love being here.
0: It's good to see you. And Vanessa Crowe Bennett, how are you today?
2: I'm awesome. Thrilled to be here.
0: Glad to have you both here. Let me jump right in and make the most of this salary. Um, the fascinating part about this is that, and this isn't easy to do, this is a book that, as, as I've gone through it, it's written for both parents and kids. uh, And that's a challenge. Um, Talk about the challenge of doing that. Um, Who wants to go first?
2: So it's a book for all adults, Mm -hmm. right? People assume, oh, it's a parenting book. It's not. It's for educators. Mm -hmm. It's for coaches and mentors. It's for healthcare professionals. And it's also for adolescents Mm -hmm. who are wondering what is going on in their bodies and in their brains. And people assume kids don't care about the science. Kids love the science because it helps them make sense of what's going on. So for any mystified adult or teen, (laughs) and there are lots of you. That's a good word, mystified. And we've met you all across the country. (laughs) This book breaks it down. Cara is incredible at writing science in a way that makes it relatable and understandable and funny. She strings words together that you would Mm -hmm. never imagine belong in the same sentence Mm -hmm. when talking about the brain or growing bodies or any of it. And so we really encourage people not to shy away from the science. Mm -hmm. Coupled with, it's super practical. There's tons of information about what to say, how to have conversations, what not to say, Mm. which is often a big part of this journey.
0: What's fascinating about that um, for me, Vanessa, and let's just start here since you went there. Um, We live in a world now where on so many fronts, I'm thinking specifically on the environmental front, uh, where people, I'm talking about grown folk, politicians, those who should know better, deny and don't trust the science To hear you say um that people should not shy away from be scared of the science in this regard uh what's your sense at least of why parents who are reading the book those who are responding to it are not scared of they're not shying away from not denying the science
1: i i'll jump in and say um i think you know, I was I was just reading a couple of articles this morning actually that go to the heart of exactly this. There is mm-hmm. so much marketing of information that is science in our world, mm-hmm. right? And what Vanessa and I do is we are not marketing any information, we are telling A story that is biologically and physiologically true Mm -hmm. right so we are taking examples from the bodies people live in and we're combining it with really good well thought through research and data and we are presenting it in a way that doesn't dumb it down but also doesn't assume that you're in the insider club of understanding all the science Mm -hmm. and I think it makes it accessible and you know, they're really smart, really engaged people out there in the world who have never been given the chance to understand how does the brain develop? What does it mean to be in early puberty? What's the difference between having a body develop and being interested in sexual experiences? And when you're, when you're presented with really clear, unbiased information, mm-hmm. and when you're, when you're asked to form your own opinions and have conversations with the kids in your lives in your own best way. Well, that is a respectful way of getting into the science, which I think results in trust around the science.
0: Mm. I was in conversation the other day with a group of adults uh, who were complaining about uh, all sorts of things. (laughs) And I, I just listened for a while and I said, you know what, uh, you're all friends of mine. And I'm, I'm thinking one thing is you guys are all complaining. They said, what? I said, uh, if you think it's tough being an adult these days, try being a kid. And it just sort of broke the ice. Everybody paused for a second. And some of them were parents, some of us were not in that in that gathering. But if you think it's tough being an adult, try being a kid these days. So when we come forward, I want to ask this question. If I ask it now, I know I wanna, you won't have enough time to really delve into it. But, but when we come forward, I want to ask, who is it more awkward for?
1: <laughs>
2: who,
0: who, you see where I'm going, right? They're laughing. Okay. <laughs> who is puberty more awkward for? When it's they a say, com, It's <laughs> a
1: competition. <yeah.
0: laughs> when, when the book title says, this is so awkward, I'm like, for who? For the parents or for, for the adolescents, for the kids? We'll talk about that in a great deal more. There's a lot in this book we're going to unpack. Uh, as much as we can, can't do justice to something this great in 60 Minutes, but we'll do our best. You're listening, and I'm glad about it, to Tavis Smiley.
1: For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley.
2: I feel like free.
1: Ready to re-examine your
0: assumptions and expand your inventory of, expand inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Tavis Smiley in conversation with Dr. Carl Natterson and Vanessa Crow Bennett about their new book. Uh, this is <laughs> this is so awkward. Uh, <laughs> it's called This is So Awkward, Modern Puberty Explained. Uh, and I'm glad somebody can explain it. I'm sure those parents listening right now are really happy somebody can explain it. Uh, and I was asking before that break uh, who this is more awkward for, parents or the adolescents?
2: I mean, let's be honest, it's awkward for everyone, Mm -hmm. Tavis, but it doesn't have to be. And that's really the, if we had an ellipsis in the title, it would be, this is so awkward, but it doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. And the way we keep it from sitting in the awkwardness Mm -hmm. is A, with information, B, with open lines of communication, right? This is millions of tiny, tiny talks with kids throughout their lives, Well into adulthood, we're still talking about this stuff. And lastly, we get rid of the shame and we get rid of the judgment. And Mm -hmm. by doing that, the awkwardness lifts because everyone gives themselves permission, A, to mess up because Mm -hmm. we all mess up, and B, to laugh. Laughter is such an important part of this, right? So if you're feeling awkward, you say to a kid, oh, my God, my pits are sweating. The hair on the back of my neck is standing up. I am so nervous. And all of a sudden, you name the awkwardness, and it floats away. Mm -hmm. And you might have to say that again and again. And the kid may look at you and be like, oh. I don't want to talk to you, (laughs) but they also want the information that you're Mm. going to give them. They need trusted sources of information because the internet and TikTok, those are not necessarily trusted sources Mm. of information. So everybody needs to name the awkwardness and move past it.
0: Let's, let's talk about, again, you tee this up. I'm going to follow you through the hours off, as I always do in conversations, because if, if I'm leading it, I'm doing it the wrong way. I'm always following the <laughs> again, and that and that, that makes it better. So you, you, you put your finger on something that I want to sort of interrogate for a second, and that is, and we'll get more expressly into the, the puberty issue in a moment here, but this notion of how parents talk to kids at this age, that's like the big elephant in the room, right? It's a communication thing, right? Um... And I've seen family members, siblings of mine, with their kids, I have all kinds of other friends who I watch with their kids, and just strangers who I see at restaurants and other places who have the most difficult time engaging their kid in conversation when they're in these adolescent years. How many times we go to restaurants and you see the whole family on their phones? There's no conversation going, everybody's on their phone. It's a family dinner, but nobody's actually talking. Um, we don't have the traditional family dinner at home like we used to. Parents are working longer hours, certainly uh, people of color working longer hours uh, to make uh, still not enough money to, to, to afford to raise families. Uh, and say nothing of the puberty thing, how awkward that gets for everybody. So I wonder, um, uh, Dr. Carr, if you could say uh, a word, a few words, in fact, <laughs> uh, about this, this 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 dilemma that parents have in this puberty stage of just being able to communicate with their babies.
1: So let's start by defining the puberty stage. Okay. It is no longer a short three to four year sprint. It is a decade. It starts on average between eight and nine for girls, between nine and ten for boys. And we know that kids of color are first to puberty. It stretches all the way through middle school and high school and for some beyond. So we're talking about a whole decade now of body changes that are governed by hormones, and those same hormones go up to the brain, and they change the way the brain feels, which means they change your mood, and they change the way that you communicate. So when a parent sees an eight or a nine or a 10 year old, who is moody, or who is silent or who shuts the door and rolls their eyes and shuts down lines of communication. That is a sign for any adult in that kid's life that that kid probably has surging sex hormones in their body Mm. and they are starting to feel differently. They're reacting differently. But it does not mean that that kid is any less interested in connecting with the adults in their life. Mm. It just means we have to try different ways in. And here's a classic example. Many boys, not all, and certainly some girls, but many boys get quiet during this stage. They go silent. They become grunters, monosyllabic. How's your day? Fine. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling? Fine anything happened today no right so how do we engage with kids who go to that space of just shutting down every conversation well we get educated we say okay it it might be me but it's also probably something going on inside of them oh it could be their hormones okay let me give them a little bit of space and grace let me help Mm. them through let me try different ways of connecting with them you know what I did with my son When my son was at the peak point of silence, I used to sit on the other side of his closed door and I used to say, hey, buddy, I'm actually sitting on the other side of your door. And now's a great time. If you've anything you want to share with me, anything going on, because I don't know if I should worry or you just want space. I'm just going to sit here for about five or 10 minutes. Let me know if you want to talk. And you know what would happen? From the other side of the door, he did not open the door, (laughs) but from the other side of the door, that kid talked.
2: That kid talked. And Tavis, LA local, Dr. Wendy Mogul, who wrote a beautiful book called Blessings of a Skin Knee, Mm -hmm. she came on our podcast and she said to us, be enchanted with their enchantment because Mm. there is stuff that kids are really interested in and Mm. we have to meet them there. The temptation is to be like, oh... Come discuss the news with us. Come, you know, read this article. And they're like, no, I want to talk about fantasy football. I want to talk about Fortnite. And so guess what? We got to be able to talk about fantasy football and Fortnite and meet them where they are. And the dinner table with the phones. Listen, people are tired. People are working hard. We just got through a pandemic. We are exhausted. But the one rule in my house is no phones at the table. And by the way, that's not just the kids. Mm-hmm. That is the adults, too. We are just as guilty as the kids are of pulling out our phones and shutting down conversation.
0: Mm. Um, a few things have been said now that I want to interrogate. This is this is getting good, as we say around. Here. <laughs> um, I, I want to start with this, uh, Dr. Cara, um, And this is no surprise, I think, to this audience, um, in part because we see it every day. I see it When kids get off the school bus near this studio and walk down the sidewalk, I see it when I'm at a restaurant, I see it when I'm at an airport, I see it when I move about. You can physically, you can literally see that kids of color, I'm talking now specifically about black kids, you can see that they hit puberty first. You can physically see it. You made that point. Why is that?
1: The long answer is it's probably everything that we put into and onto our bodies, so from the air we breathe to the... To the cosmetics that we use there are endocrine disrupting chemicals those are chemicals that shift the way hormones work in your body Mm -hmm. that's one component it's the food we eat and in particular the antibiotics that are going into feed that is given to chickens and to cows are making their way into the food supply and they are changing puberty and the third and this is probably the biggest is chronic stress. Mm. So we know that when the body is stressed, there is a hormone called cortisol that gets released, right? For all of us, doesn't matter what our age is. Mm. Cortisol seems to tip kids into puberty a little bit earlier. So when you think of the stressors that kids face, right? You can look at data that shows that by zip code, kids in certain zip codes face Different stressors. Mm-hmm. So everyone's facing environmental stressors. Everyone's facing stressors that come through the news cycle, stressors of war, stress, right? And then you look by zip code and you start to see these hot spots of food insecurity or economic instability. And you look at those kids, and those kids are entering puberty a little bit earlier. So what you are seeing is real. It is a real phenomenon. And here's my biggest concern as a pediatrician, that those kids are then getting sexualized by our society. Mm. They become vulnerable because they are treated as if they are older than they are. And if there is one thing that we can say to every single person who is out there listening, it is treat kids how old they are, not how old they look Mm. because an 11-year-old who looks like a 14-year-old is 11. Mm. They have an 11-year-old brain. They have 11-year-old desires. They have an 11-year-old's ability to make decisions. They are not as old as they look. And this is the hardest thing, especially for parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches who are with these kids all day, every day. It takes reminding yourself constantly Oh, this is still this is a baby, mm. right? Let
0: me let me ask two questions. One about boys, one about girls. Yeah, I'll start with the girls. Um, and not that boys can't be sexualized. Indeed, they are. But you'll take my point. What happens to a, uh, a young girl, in puberty—black, white, red, brown, yellow—but specifically, since we're talking about black kids who get to puberty first, what happens when, at such a young age, those kids get sexualized or looked at in a sexualized frame? What well, happens to them while they're trying to? make their way through puberty.
1: Right. They're vulnerable. Right. Right. They're vulnerable to either the older teens or the adults who are sexualizing them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that means that they are become sexually active earlier, mm-hmm. often not by choice, mm-hmm. And sometimes it means that they engage in other risk behaviors at a younger age. So you're right. It does not matter the color of your skin. But Mm -hmm. the younger you are when you start to develop breasts, the younger you are when the world starts to sexualize you. Mm -hmm. And that makes you particularly vulnerable. Mm
2: -hmm. It's not that earlier puberty makes them want to participate in those activities. It's that the world sets expectations Mm -hmm. on them that they are older and exposes them to things, sexual, substance abuse, other risky experiences. And so they start to live up to those expectations because that's how they're being treated when it's really our job to help keep them safe by protecting them from those experiences. Mm -hmm. And that is really hard work because they are out in the world, moving around, going to school, going to different experiences. But it really is adults' job to address that incongruity. It's Mm -hmm. not the kid's job to do that because they are still a kid.
0: But let me tell you how the adults seem to handle that, though. Since I'm glad you walked me up to the line, I'll step right across it. Um, Here's how the adults handle it. And we see the evidence. The evidence here is incontrovertible. It's unassailable. It's all over the Internet. You can Google it and find it for yourself, and you probably know where I'm going already. Um, We talked about how how and what happens when certainly girls are sexualized at a young age, when they're trying to make their way through through puberty. What happens to young boys, Mm -hmm. to your point, Dr. Dr. Carr, is that they appear older Mm -hmm. and law enforcement. Yep. You see where I'm going, right?
1: I mean, it's devastating what happens to these boys, right? And, and... They also tend to get quiet, Mm -hmm. and they become less communicative with the adults who are on their side and looking out for them and raising them. And I've never met a parent who doesn't want to keep their kids safe and healthy. That's every parent's Mm -hmm. goal, right? Mm -hmm. Never in my life. So, But if you've got a kid who's silent, who's not sharing with you the experiences that they have as they're going through the world, and you're 100% right, that the experience of boys, especially boys of color, is to be essentially feared right? Mm-hmm. And how, th- how do they unpack that? How do they have conversation about that, especially when they're becoming less conversational? So it, it is on the adults in their life to start talking to them, not one talk. This is not one talk. Mm-hmm. This is, as Vanessa said, it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of talks over many years. And for the adults who haven't done it yet, okay, that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's never too late, but it's also never too early to let a kid know it, I am your safe person. You can come and share an experience with me and I'm going to help you figure it out. Because as we're changing the world, and Vanessa and I are absolutely determined to change the way the world sees these kids, as we're changing the world, we also have to give the kids a place to go and to be safe because it's going to take a while for us to convince the world to treat them how old they are. Right?
2: We have a we have a friend Uju Asika who's in London and she writes beautifully about raising black sons in London and she talks about her babies who she loves and hugs and who snuggle with her and who talk to her and then she sends them out into the world and the world sees them as completely different beings mm-hmm. than her babies in her home. And Part of changing that is talking about it amongst everyone because the fear that parents of black boys live with of sending them into the world and people seeing them as men Mm. when they are just boys Mm. and giving them the ability to know they can come back to us and say, why are these people treating me this way? I am a kid. And being out there and advocating, and it's not just black people who should be advocating. It is white people. It is everyone who should say, these kids are kids and we need to treat them as such.
0: I did a documentary years ago for PBS about the criminalization of kids uh, and how this happens in schools and how these kids get an early record. And that record uh, sets them on a path and, and we call it the, the cradle to prison pipeline. Yep. They find themselves in it because they get, again, they get um, criminalized at such a young age and they can't seem to ever break away from that. Uh, I, I'm burning to ask this question, uh, which I think uh, may give us some answers that are serious and funny. Uh, <laughs> but I'm looking at my clock and I know I, 30 seconds is not going to give you ample time to respond to it. When we come forward, I, I want to ask what it is that parents are going to learn in this book about their kids that they don't know. Uh, I know that's a there's a long answer we 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 can't thirty minutes won't give you enough time to give me the entire answer but we don't want to give the answer anyway we, we want to sell a book or two here <laughs> we, want, we want to tease this uh, but the, the great thing about the book is I was going through it is that it, it lays out. Uh, and shares with you a lot of things that we've learned, they've learned, The data tell us now about puberty that parents did not know heretofore. And so maybe you understand uh, a few different things about puberty that you thought you knew or you know need to know. Um, you can relate to your kids a little bit better. So, so I look forward to asking that question when we come forward, the things about your kids that you don't know right now that you need to know. Uh, the book is called This Is So Awkward, Modern Puberty Explained. The co-authors of that book join us in studio right now, Dr. Carl Natterson and Vanessa Crowe Bennett. You are listening to Tavis Smiley. From the Merck Park with love, love. This is Tavis Smiley. Oh. Who do you trust to get
1: at the truth? Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. That's who. The conversation continues right now.
0: Our guests in this hour: are Dr. Carl Natterson and Vanessa Crow Bennett, talking about their new book, "This Is So Awkward: Modern Puberty Explained." Before I forget, they're going to be in Philly. Uh, for those listening in Philadelphia, uh, they're going to be in Philly on November the sixth. Go to OrderOfMagnitude.co. That's orderofmagnitude.co. Um, to get information on where they're going to be in Philly on November the sixth. And if I had other cities, I would tell you since we're heard in other cities. But for those in Philly, that I do know, November the sixth. Again, go to orderofmagnitude.co to check them out when they're in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, and as I like to say, sisterly affection. <laughs> um, they'll be there again on November November sixth. Um, the the we we were. I, I was saying before the break, I wanted to ask you. Um, Uh, this question about what it is that we now know about puberty. The great thing about writing books over time is that you get a chance to update them because the science is different. The technology uh, reveals things that we didn't know heretofore. So just give me two or three things that that parents uh, can now know, courtesy of reading this text, that they wouldn't have known 20 years ago reading about puberty.
2: So one of the greatest developments has been the brain science and the understanding of the teenage brain. So brain image wait wait
0: wait. there is a teenage
2: brain (laughs) (laughs) but I'm fine okay go ahead that was that was a good one we will get there so there is a teenage brain and what we understand about it as it develops and by the way the brain is not fully mature until close to 30 wow so it's not that that explains it 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 sure does (laughs) So as Drew Barrymore said to us, that explains my 20s. Yeah, exactly. Um, And we know that by middle school, the part of the brain that has become fully mature is the limbic system, Mm -hmm. which is the risk-reward part of the brain, Mm -hmm. the pleasure-seeking part of the brain. And guess who lights up the limbic system, Tavis? Other kids. Mm -hmm. Guess who does not light up the limbic system? Adults. Mm -hmm. So understanding that helps us know why it feels like kids are ignoring us, not listening to us, telling us they know exactly what good decision making looks like and then they turn around and do something so dumb. (laughs) And knowing that, like it's not, they're not purposefully being, Mm -hmm. you know, disrespectful by disobeying us. Part of it is their brain. And Mm -hmm. so having conversations with them over and over, what would you do if somebody offered you a vape? And they might say to you, oh, I would never do that. I'll text you. And then we're going to read newspaper articles about it. And I'll start the anti-vaping club at school. And then you get a text from your best friend two (laughs) hours later. And she's like, I just saw your kid on the street corner vaping. And you're like, what? How? So the brain science helps us understand they can't totally help it. And it is a long, long journey to mm. brain maturation.
0: I'm mm. I, I am, I am I'm, I'm struck by the comment that um, that uh, Vanessa makes about the fact that our brain isn't fully matured until 30 and how then unfair it is that we put upon kids in puberty in certain ways, just knowing that one reality.
1: Yes. Right. I mean, we we look at them and they look old enough to make really smart, consequential decisions, Mm -hmm. but we're here to tell you that part of their brain, it's there, Mm -hmm. it's inside, but it doesn't send and receive messages as fast as the part that feels good, that's impulsive, that's Mm -hmm. motivated. Right. So this is not a bad thing. I want to make sure people realize just because the brain is not fully mature and fully balanced, there is a reason for that. You know, if you look at evolution, when we look at businesses that are started in innovative spaces, look at tech companies, all these companies were started by 20-somethings, right? If you're old enough to have a brain that thinks consequentially, every step of the way, you're not going to take risk. So there is a benefit to taking risks Mm -hmm. sometimes. And that's what happens in adolescence and in your 20s. The problem is, if you're not thinking about the consequences, or if you're thinking about the consequences, some of the time, but not all of the time, that's a really hard way to get through life. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you and you had mentioned sort of this, the setup for boys earlier and talking about sort of the path for boys. And, you know, we have to give these kids opportunities to mess up and to fail and to come back mm. because if their brain is making impulsive decisions because that's where it is in its maturation mm. and our society does not allow any breathing room for that, well, then then we've got kids who are kind of doomed mm. by that by that future, right? I
0: mentioned earlier that I did a documentary years ago uh, for PBS about the criminalization of kids in our school system. And one of the things that annoyed me, and I remember just drilling down on this in the documentary, was this notion that you pretty much tee up now, uh, Dr. Carr, about zero tolerance. Yeah. Now, this all happened after that Columbine shooting years ago. Schools got to the point of advancing these policies known as zero tolerance, which were stupid when we thought about them then, somebody said it was a bad idea when somebody thought about it, much less implementation. Because if you're a child, you're supposed to make mistakes. How can there ever be anything called zero tolerance for kids who are going through puberty? It just doesn't,
1: those two things don't fit in the same frame. Okay. So here's the reframe that we all need. Okay. okay? Kids love rules and limits that are consistently enforced. That makes them feel safe. Mm-hmm. Okay. So whether you're a parent or a guardian or a coach or a school administrator. Kids, we all know that when we set a limit for a kid and they push up against that limit and you say, you know what? I told you you couldn't do that. And now here's the consequence that I told you you were going to have. That makes a kid feel safe. They might not act like they like Mm -hmm. it, but they tell us they like it. There is a huge difference between that and zero tolerance, right? Mm -hmm. And we have to find our way to setting limits that are consistently enforced. But here's the big side note. The big side note is, we're all making this up as we go along, mm. and the world is changing, and puberty is changing. And so we also have to be able to take do-overs. We have to be able to, as adults, acknowledge when we get our limits wrong and change them, and then set new limits and new consequences. But the biggest problem is we have an all or none approach. It's like zero tolerance or it's a free-for-all, mm. and there's, there's a lot of space in between. Why, why, why
0: is it? I'm not. I'm not naive in asking this, but I want to ask anyway. Why is it that parents don't get the point you just made moments ago, uh, Dr. Carr, about allowing kids to fail? When you said that, my mind immediately went. Um, and I'll let you know, Vanessa, sound off on this. My my mind immediately, Vanessa, went to one of my favorite quotes from the great writer Samuel Beckett. I uh, opened one of my books with this quote, and Beckett once wrote these words: "Ever tried, ever failed, try again." fail again, fail better. I love that, ever tried, ever failed? Try again, fail again, fail better. We all fail better when we get a chance to do it again and again and again. But parents seem not to understand that when it comes to their kids, particularly in puberty. Why is that?
2: I mean, we're hypocrites, yeah. right? Because wow. we we say to kids, oh, it's okay to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. And then when they make a mistake, we're like, oh, mm-hmm. how can you make a mistake? And we flip out or we humiliate them, or we shame them. Meanwhile, we are so fallible, we Mm -hmm. make our mistakes, we mess up all the time, and so we have to walk the walk. If we're gonna say to them, it's okay to make mistakes, then when they make mistakes, which they will, because we all do, and we're all human, we say, all right, what strategy would you do differently next time? Like, clearly, the way you studied for that test Mm -hmm. that you just failed, didn't work. So how do we do it again? It doesn't come from telling them what to do because then they don't exercise their own brains, their own problem solving, yeah. their own decision making. It comes from asking them and eliciting from them, what can you do differently? How can you fail better next time. yeah.
0: For those watching uh, uh, live uh, on our, on YouTube or on our app or wherever you're watching this live, you can see that I am black and they are white. Uh, and yet that's not going to stop me from keeping it real when we come forward. I'm going to talk to black folks specifically about what happens when you talk down to your kids when they're going through puberty. And y'all know what I'm talking about. We're going to keep it real. Uh, we're going to address that, talking down to your kids. I think of my friend Cornell West, a brilliant professor at Harvard, Princeton, everywhere, and now running for president. Uh, He said to me many times, Brother Tavis, uh, I can tell you this, being in Harvard and Princeton all these years, it's not that these white kids are any smarter, any more brilliant, any of that. It's that they've been told all their lives that they are smarter, that they are brilliant, Mm. that they are capable, that they can do this and can do that. Now, the flip side of that is too many black parents who oftentimes we see in in public— talking down to their kids, cussing the kids out, calling the kids out of their name, <clears throat> and the kids trying to navigate puberty while you're doing all that. We'll get to that when we come forward. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Unapologetically progressive. progressive. Unapologetically blind. Black. black. You're tapped into Tavis, Smart. Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Thinking about. Smart talk for curious people
2: just like you. Just like you.
0: You're listening to Tavis Smiley. 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 Watching my time here. There are a few more things I want to cover, and uh, the time is getting away. That hour goes so fast. Um, Let me me do this first. Um, As I said a moment ago, what happens when kids are trying to navigate this thing called puberty and they happen to have parents who really demean them, sort of talk down to them publicly and privately for that matter?
2: So we do this exercise with parents because we all have our own journeys. We all have our own memories. We all have our own traumas from having gone through puberty and adolescence. And the temptation is to be like, oh, I had this, Mm. you're gonna have this too. This is how I was raised, this is how you're gonna be raised. Except we wanna break that cycle because so many of us don't like how we were raised through puberty. We don't like how we were treated as adolescents. So we do this exercise called leaving your baggage at the door. And part of it comes from the visualization of thinking about what is that memory that sits in your gut and kind of hangs around and haunts you even now decades later as adults. And then we say to them, we want you to leave that baggage at the door. We wanna leave it outside the room and enter these conversations with our own kids and the kids we're caring for without that burden on our shoulders, Mm -hmm. and therefore without that burden on their shoulders. It's a long, arduous journey. They don't need our stuff on top of their own stuff. And so stepping outside, being aware of it, reflecting, And finding another adult to talk to about it, find a friend, find a partner, find a pastor and say, I am struggling with this with my kid. I don't want to dump it on my kid, but I got to talk to someone about
0: it. But stepping outside of yourself isn't easy to do. Was a Socrates once said, uh, the unexamined life is not worth living. Um, and it's hard to sort of step out of ourselves to see our own shortcomings when we're trying to raise kids going through puberty.
1: It's extremely hard. Mm-hmm. And there is this cycle of shame that gets passed forward where if you were shamed as a kid and that was a strategy that was used, you know, that was a way to get you to stop behaving in a certain way. It's very, very hard to not rely on that muscle memory and just pass that shaming forward, which is, you know, what you were describing before the break and, and the, the truth of the matter is that the world is totally different than mm-hmm. the world was when you were going through puberty. So right. why should the strategy stay the same, right? Yeah. And if you know that one of the things that you carry with you is that feeling of heaviness because you were shamed, well, then the greatest gift you can give yourself is to try your best to rely on other people or any kind of resources you can to be able to learn how mm-hmm. to step back and examine your behavior. You know what else you can do? You can apologize to the kids in your life for getting something wrong and take a do-over try it again a different way kids love to know that we see our fallibility so if you shame them and you realize as it's happening you wish you weren't doing that stop yourself and say I'm trying again
0: I I didn't know you could put the word parent and apology in the same (laughs) sentence you can
2: (laughs) I know but to be honest (laughs) it's so modern it buys you goodwill instead of losing your authority with a kid because parents really worry oh I'm going to lose my authority I'm not going to have the respect that I deserve if If I apologize apologize, in fact the opposite is true and mm. kids are like oh I feel respected now because they're owning mm. their mistake I'm going to offer up more respect to them
0: we've been talking about uh, the P word uh, this entire hour puberty but there's another P word we'll get to because these two things are not disconnected uh, porn yep we we'll talk about porn and puberty when we come forward in our remaining moments on Tavis Smiley
1: this is getting good
2: yeah man
0: Tavis Smiley, Smiley. 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 Tab Tab continues when we come, come forward 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 Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now.
2: All
0: right, just a few minutes left in this conversation with Dr. Kara Natterson and Vanessa Crow Bennett about their book. This is so awkward, modern puberty explained. Two things I want to cover in these four minutes. The first is uh, I'm going to say porn for last. Let me do this real right <laughs> quick though. Uh, we because we we, we, we we tipped around this, but we didn't really tiptoe around. Didn't really get to it. And that is the the impact. That certain environmental factors, we're just about to roll out a major environmental campaign. The audience hears, hears these promos every hour. Uh, so we'll be announcing in a few weeks some some major detail about the biggest, baddest, most, the, the boldest uh, environmental uh, campaign that any black media outlet has ever undertaken. So we'll be doing that in a few weeks. But there are environmental impacts that, that connect to puberty, are there not?
1: Huge, yeah, huge, and you're going to make a big difference in the lives, physically and emotionally, I hope so. of kids. I hope so. I mean, this is massive. Yeah. Everyone needs to educate themselves yeah. on the environmental impacts.
0: Yep. Yeah. All right. So, porn. We got uh, two and a half, three minutes left. Uh, talk to me about porn and puberty.
2: So we know the research tells us the average age of exposure for kids to porn is 12 years old. Wow. And 15 percent of 10 year olds are exposed. So. The people who think, oh, I don't need to talk to my kid about porn until high school or never. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And it's time. And we get it. It is stressful and scary for adults to think about talking to kids about porn. But today's porn is violent and aggressive and non-consensual. The free porn that finds them, that pops up on their phones, that their friend can look at on the bus, on the way to school That is confusing, it is frightening, and it is writing the narrative of our kids' sex lives before they ever have their first kiss. Mm. So it's our responsibility as adults to say to them, hey, have you ever heard the word porn before or pornography? And they will probably say, oh yeah, 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 I know what it is, and then you can say, well, what is it? And they can't define it, Mm. they just know it's quote-unquote bad. So Mm. it's our job to tell them it's not real, People are often being paid. That's not what a loving, consensual relationship looks like because that's our goal, right? Ultimately, we want kids to grow into adults who have respectful, loving, meaningful, intimate relationships with somebody else.
0: I told you I couldn't do justice to a book uh, this rich, uh, a polemic this powerful in 60 minutes, and yet we did our best. Um, I hope that's enough to get you to buy the book. It's called This Is So Awkward, Modern Puberty Explained. Again, I just scratched the surface, but it's called This Is So Awkward, Modern Puberty Explained. The authors of that book are Dr. Cara Natterson and Vanessa Crow Bennett. Uh, they will be once again in Philly, uh, November the 6th. Uh, go to orderofmagnitude.co, orderofmagnitude.co to get all the details about that appearance. Can I just say thank you for coming in to see us in studio? I appreciate it and love the conversation. we got to do it again sometime.
1: We would love to have
0: I would love to have you back. Hour 3 of Tabby Smiley, when we come forward.